This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. All right, good morning again. Are you ready to study God's Word together? Turn to Psalm, Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40. There are numerous experiences on earth that unite us as human beings. For example, we all experience the warmth of summer or on a random winter day. (laughs) We all experience the cold of winter. Water makes each of us wet. And upon entering the workforce, the IRS makes all of us pay. As human beings, we share a multitude of human experiences while walking here on planet Earth. And one of those shared experiences is hurt or pain. The reality of a broken world tainted by sin is that human beings will experience suffering. We will experience pain. We will experience Hurt. There are some of you in this room this morning, you know this in conscious experience because of deep hurt and wounds that you continue to carry from your past. There are others of you in this room, you are knowing this in real time because of the experiences of your life over the last few weeks or the last few months. And for still others, Even if you haven't experienced deep-seated hurt or pain up until this point in your life, chances are at some point soon or at some time in your life, you're going to experience that. Because pain, hurt, shame, and regret are all shared experiences of human beings. And although we don't have an answer to the hows and whys of every single act of pain and experience of hurt, we do know at least three basic sources of our pain and hurt, like where it comes from. And so here's how I would summarize it. Some of us get hurt because of external circumstances beyond our control that our God in His sovereignty sends our way. So we experience the death of a loved one. Um, we might experience what we call a natural disaster. There is an accident in our family. There may be an unexpected sickness or disease that just hits us out of nowhere. There are external circumstances beyond our control that God sovereignly sends our way. Other times, a second source of our hurt is simply the sin of other people, right? I mean, people hurt us. And we actually hurt people too, don't we? You see, the reality in a broken world where sin is rampant, every one of us is a sinner and sinful people actually do sinful things and sinful things oftentimes hurt others. And sometimes our hurt comes at the hands of those who are actually closest to us. And so sometimes we get hurt by external circumstances. Sometimes it's by the sin of others. But thirdly, sometimes it's because of the sin of ourselves. Let's let's be honest this morning. Sometimes we experience deep-seated hurt 
pain, regret, and shame in our lives because of our own sinful choices or because of the, uh, the mistakes that we have made in our own lives. But regardless of the source of your pain this morning, your heart hurts. My heart hurts. And in that hurt, we long for healing, don't we? We, we long for resolution to the strife that we feel in our internal mind and heart. And so this morning, what I hope that you're going to see in the text that we're going to uh, study together is that I want you to see that this passage is going to identify with our hurts, showing us that regardless of the century in which we live, human beings share the commonality of pain and hurt. But I also want you to see that we share a common source for healing. And his name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And so whether it was the ancient Israelites that we're going to see in Psalm 40 and King David, so whether it was the ancient Israelites and this king who faced the foreign invasion of uh, their enemies, or whether it was King David himself weeping over his own sexual sin, or whether it's you or I hurting from our own circumstances today, I want you to know from the text today that our God is the ultimate healer who wants to heal us completely. And though we may not experience that healing in totality this side of heaven, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we will experience complete healing on the other side of heaven. In this morning's psalm, David is going to use vivid imagery to describe the deep pain, threat, and that he himself experienced. But he's also going to use vivid imagery to describe the great deliverance that our God gave and what he still gives today. So here's what I want us to do this morning, all right? Are you with me? I want, I want us to enter into God's spiritual operating room, all right? And I want you to allow him to open your heart, exposing it to the word of God. I want you to allow God this morning through his text to touch those places in your heart that are raw and that are tender. And I want you to invite him to apply the healing balm of his truth to your heart. And so this morning what I'm going to show you is I'm going to show you a pathway for healing. And this pathway isn't a one-stop shop. It's not a one-time-for-all-time forget-about-the-past healing because that's not the way human emotions work. Our human emotions constantly can bring things back up. So for many of us, this is going to be a pathway that we're going to revisit and revisit often. But I want you to know that these 10 truths that we're going to see from this psalm today is a pathway for all of us to find healing and relief from those hurts that we experience in our life. So let's get ready to walk down this pathway together. So we're going to go to the word. Psalm 40, verse 1. David writes this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. 
many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This morning, we're asking the question, how can my heart heal? You might even want to ask yourself that question right now in your heart. How can my heart heal? I'm going to show you 10 truths on this pathway for healing. And here's the first one. Call out to the Lord for salvation. Call out to the Lord for salvation. Verse 1 says that God inclined to David and heard his cry. So David started this whole process with crying out to God for deliverance. And yes, absolutely, there were external circumstances from which David wanted to be delivered. But I want you to see even a greater deliverance here. The greatest deliverance, the greatest healing that we can experience is our spiritual healing. Spiritual restoration with God. So we're actually going to start where oftentimes we end in our message times with an appeal for salvation. Here's the truth I want you to know this morning. Unless Jesus Christ changes your heart, forgives you of your sins, and you become in right relationship with your God, you will never experience ultimate healing. You will only experience some partial sense of healing, but you won't be healed in the truest sense because you haven't been healed from the inside out. And that's what happens at salvation. That's why we repent of our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. And so regardless of whether it's turning to Jesus today for salvation or turning to Jesus today for deliverance and salvation from your circumstances, we need to call out to God for salvation. Because when we don't do that, we're in a miry bog. That's what he says. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I love the picture here. I love the picture of being out in the water or out in the miry mud of, of, of a lake or, or a pond. I actually remember uh, several years ago, I was on a harbor cruise in Gloucester Harbor. And the seas were, let's just say they were a little less than calm that day. And several friends had suggested that I take a Dramamine to help with the rocking of the boat. But I said, no, I'm fine because I grew up on the Gulf. I'm used to being, I, I'm used to being in boats. I can handle this. Well, I wasn't right. I was very wrong that day. The boat rocked back and forth like a seesaw on a playground. The sea seemed to taunt me with every chop of every wave. And I'm not exactly sure, but I'm pretty confident that I saw a whale snicker at me. And although I was very dry inside the boat, I was in a muddy, miry bog. And as I held my head over the side of that boat, I'm telling you, the sea creatures below were about to find out just, as, just how miry and bog-like it could be because I was about to give them some stuff to swim in. <clears throat> a friend's little boy looked up at me. I'll never forget this. It was really cute. A friend's little boy looked up at me and he said, Mr. Chris... Are you a seaman? And I said, apparently not, buddy. <laughs> apparently not. But this is what life is like when we're in circumstances beyond our control that bring us to our knees and hurt and anguish and pain, right? I mean, it's like we are being rocked back and forth and we're confused and we're, we're crying out for deliverance. Just take this away, right? 
And so don't miss the, the first thing here on your pathway for healing. Cry out to the Lord for salvation. Cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And it could be deliverance from your sin nature for salvation. It could be deliverance simply from your circumstances. But cry out to the Lord. The second thing I want you to see on this pathway for healing is to make the Lord your trust. Make the Lord your trust. I love verse 4. He says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Now, this may seem obvious for us as Christians. Yes, I need to trust the Lord. I've been told for as long as I've been a Christian to trust the Lord. But don't assume that when you're hurting, when you're in pain, that you're just going to knee-jerk make God your trust. It's not our first intuition. Even for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are Christ followers, our, our first intuition is to grumble and complain. And then, and then we start going down, well, if I can just talk to my best friend, or if I can just talk to a parent, or if I could just go to Amazon or the Barnes & Noble and find the, the latest self-help book that can give me motivation and to help deliver me from this. There are so many things that we oftentimes as human beings go to first before ever going to the Lord or making the Lord our trust. Psalm 118 verse 8 says that it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now what I want to do very quickly is I want to connect verse 4 back to verse 1. He says in verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. And so the question becomes, how do we make the Lord our trust? And what does it look like to wait patiently? Here's where we need to understand a little bit of the Hebrew here. When we see that text and we see wait for the Lord, our human minds immediately go to, well, I've just got to wait. And I've just got to wait until God delivers me. I'm waiting, Lord. It's been two hours now, or it's been two weeks, or it's been two years. God, I'm still waiting. That's not really the essence of what the word wait means in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when we hear that word wait, I waited for the Lord, or those who wait upon the Lord that we read in Isaiah. It means to make the Lord your trust. It means that you're here and you may be in this holding pattern, but you are trusting God's sovereignty and you know that he has a plan here. And you know that he has not failed you. You know that he has not abandoned you. And you know that though you're hurting, though you're in pain, the Lord is with you. And so you wait humbly. You wait humbly with him and you trust humbly to him until he delivers you. Now, what's the opposite of this? Well, it would be waiting arrogantly. And we wait arrogantly when we look at our circumstances and we deem them as not worthy of us. And what we do is we shake our fists at God, don't we? God, how could you? How dare you put anything uncomfortable in my life? And what we end up doing is we end up striving with the Lord and we fight the Lord. But don't forget the picture of the miry bog. Think about quicksand for a moment. Maybe not all of us have been in quicksand literally, 
But we probably know enough to know that if we were in quicksand, what's one of the worst things that we could do if we were stuck in quicksand? Is to fight and to strive there in it. Because as we fight and as we strive, what we actually do is we're making ourselves sink deeper and deeper into the bog. Brothers and sisters, I think there's great imagery here for us in our relationship with God. When we're hurting and we're in pain and we're suffering and we want to shake our fists at God and strive with God in the midst of those circumstances, we're actually sinking deeper into the destruction. We're sinking deeper into the pit. Instead, what the psalmist gives us here is a great example of someone who put his trust in the Lord and therefore he had hope and he had purpose even in the midst of his hurt. And so number one on this pathway of for healing, call out to the Lord for salvation. Number two, make the Lord your trust. Number three, rest on fact rather than feeling. Rest on fact rather than feeling. Now, when we are in circumstances beyond our control, where we are hurting, we are, when we are in pain, <clears throat> our view is often clouded. Our view of God is clouded. Our view of reality is often clouded. I think most of us in this room would understand that when we are in deep emotion, it's probably not the best time for decision making. It's also not the best time to actually have a clear view of God. This is why I can't rest on my feelings. Because my feelings are going to lead me somewhere very astray, if not careful. Because it's going to confuse me about who God really is, what His ways actually are, and what His feelings are towards me. But look at verse 5. In the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of the trials, here's what David says. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. One of the best things for the human being, especially for the follower of Jesus, is when you are hurting and you are in despondency, is to recount the blessings of God in your life. Recount what he has done for you. And of course, nothing eclipses what he has done for us in providing his son Jesus on our behalf. And so one of the best things that we can do when we are in adversity is to look back on the promises of God, look back on the provision of God, and rest on fact what we know to be true and not just simply what we're feeling right now. And that actually leads me to number four. Pursue the spiritual disciplines and means of grace. Pursue the spiritual disciplines and means of grace. Because the question becomes, how do I rest on fact? Where is fact? Well, fact is found in God's word. Truth is found in the promises of God. Truth is found in what he has written for us. And so we want to go back to that over And over again. Now our temptation is when we're hurting. Is to put aside the things of God. To not open our Bibles. To not go to our knees in prayer. To not worship with God's people. That's our human intuition. But look at what David does in verse 6. He says in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear. 
burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, a couple of things about sacrifices here. As king, David would have offered presentation of sacrifices and offerings on behalf of the people. And he would do this time and time again. He did this before going out into battle. And then he would do it again after the battle was over, anticipating the deliverance that God would give. And then at the successful conclusion of the military campaign, he would have presented additional sacrifices. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were a means of God's grace to draw his people to himself and to teach his people about his grace and his provision in their life. Now, as New Testament believers, we know that Jesus Christ is the one true sacrifice. And so as New Testament Christ followers, we don't offer sacrifices time and time again. Jesus accomplished that for us on the cross. But what Jesus did give us in the New Testament are spiritual disciplines and means of grace that we pursue. And by those disciplines and grace and means of grace, we experience God's provision. We experience him relationally. We experience his provision to us. We looked at this all last semester in our 12-session sermon series on spiritual disciplines. Remember, Bible meditation, praying, worshiping with the body, Christian community. All of these spiritual disciplines are there in order to foster the ability for us to focus on fact, rest on fact, rather than feeling. So on your pathway for healing, don't abandon the spiritual disciplines. Don't neglect them. You're going to be tempted to do that, but instead pursue them because it's what's going to encourage you to rest on fact rather than feeling. Next, on this pathway for healing, preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself. Preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself. This is actually a quote from one of the great evangelists of the 20th century named D.L. Moody. It's one of my favorite quotes by him. Preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself. Now, when we are in a miry bog and we are hurting and we are grasping at straws literally to be healed and to find relief, there are a lot of thoughts that come in our mind. And some of those thoughts are true and some of those thoughts are grounded in reality, but a lot of those truths are lies and they're misunderstandings. And they're even distortions of God's truth. And so the problem is when we're in those places of adversity, we ourselves are telling ourselves a lot of things. And then, like Job, we are surrounded by people who are telling us a lot of things that aren't always helpful. And what we need instead is we need to be preached the truth. The truth needs to be preached to our minds and to our hearts. And this is exactly what David does all through this text. If you go all the way back to verse 3, after he says that the, the Lord took him from that miry bog and set his feet on a rock, making his steps secure, this is what he said. God put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So you see, immediately, not only is he preaching, but he's singing the truth of God. 
And then you go down to verse 5, and he says that I will proclaim God's works. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. You look at verse 9. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. Verse 10, the second part of verse 10. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. What David did is David preached truth. He preached truth to himself and he preached truth to others. And so rather than just getting in the bog of my mind and in my heart and possibly saying things to myself and even believing things that aren't true and aren't helpful. Instead, I'm to preach the truth of God to myself, reminding myself of the truth of God. Next, on this pathway for healing, we are to resist isolating ourselves from Christian community. Resist isolating yourself from Christian community. Not only are we tempted to move away from God when we're hurting, we're also very tempted to move away from his people. As a matter of fact, I think an argument can be made that for most of us in this room, when we are at the lowest of lows, our human nature is going to tell us to run away and to be, my, be by myself And being with myself is the best person I can possibly be with. I don't really want to be around other people right now. I really just want to sit and miserate. Can we just be honest about that? Sometimes we just want to sit and miserate. But the thing is, when we're with others, it's much more difficult to do that. Like the Grinch from Dr. Seuss's fictional Christmas tale, We naturally retreat to our own Mount Crumpet, peering down at all the seemingly happy who's in Whoville, while convincing ourselves that we need no one but ourselves. But just like our green furry friend, the prescription of isolation we write for ourselves only exacerbates the pain. And the community in the Christian community that we intentionally avoid is actually a part of God's solution to our pain. Friends, you need the body of Christ. It's a part of God's plan for you. I think one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is when people are hurting the most, the very thing they need is the very thing they avoid. And it's the people of God. And we just think that we can go isolate by ourselves and just look up to heaven and pray and just expect God to just magically and wistfully just give provision. And we're just waiting and waiting. And we wait weeks, we wait months, we could even wait years. But don't miss this truth. One of the primary ways God provides for his people is through his people. It's through his people. Look how David did this. Two times, once in verse 9, once in verse 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Verse 10, I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. You see, David could have been tempted just like you or me to withdraw, but he didn't withdraw. He drew near to God. He drew near to God's people. Next, 
on this pathway for healing. Confess any unconfessed sin. Confess any unconfessed sin. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that all of your suffering and all of your pain is a direct result of something you did. It doesn't work that way. You're not suffering just because you did something in your bedroom a couple of weeks ago and God's making you pay for it today. It doesn't always work that way. And so I'm not trying to draw that link. But what I, am want, what I do want to show you is that sometimes when we are hurt, we focus so much on what has been done to us or so much on the sins of others that we can forget that we ourselves are sinners. That we ourselves might be carrying things that we're hiding from God that we need to release to him. And I love the way David does this. Look with me at verse 12. In verse 12, he says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. There's the external. Evils have encompassed me. Your circumstances are just crowding around you, right? But then look what he says. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. You see, David was not so focused on the, the, the circumstances around him that he failed to recognize his own sin inside of him. And, and brothers and sisters, this is the reality for you and for me today. There will never be true healing in our circumstances or true healing in our lives if we are harboring our own sin. And so as we pursue Jesus, as we pursue healing, let's make sure that we're following David's example and trusting our circumstances to God, yes, but also confessing the hidden things in our own hearts. Let's keep walking down this pathway for healing. Let the Lord be your avenger. Number eight, let the Lord be your avenger. What is another temptation for us when we're hurt, especially at the hands of other people? I want to make them pay. The world would even tell us, Girl, you don't, you don't deserve that. Girl, you need to go show him, you know. You need to make him hurt like he made you hurt, right? That's the advice we get from the world. The world says revenge. The world says payback. The world says I want you to feel just like you made me feel, right? That's what the world tells us. That's what our hearts want. But in verse 13... David has another idea. He says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David makes it very plain and clear that it is God Almighty that's his avenger. It is God Almighty who is his deliverer. But then he goes on. There's some perplexing words here because it almost seems to be saying the exact opposite of what I'm saying. But I'm going to show you that's not the case. He says, Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned aback and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. There's nothing in here that is David going and getting anybody back. All of this is tied to him asking the Lord to deliver him. It's all tied to the Lord being his avenger. Because the scriptures teach us this. 
The scriptures teach us that it is God who will avenge all evil. It is God who will punish all wrongdoers. That's not our job. This is David's way of saying, God, they're yours. You handle it. And the same thing is true. And the same thing is true for me. Because Jesus actually tells us something different. In Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So let the Lord be your avenger. Don't seek revenge. Don't seek payback. Let the Lord do it. Number nine, on this pathway for healing that David writes for us here, see your circumstances in light of the glory of God and gospel advance. When we're hurting, it's like we are in a tunnel and all of our peripheral vision is lost. All we see is what's right in front of us. That's it. Instead, what David writes for us is in when we're in our hurt, when we're in our pain, let's try to get up in the helicopter and let's see the bigger picture as best we can. I want to show you how he did this. He sees this in light of the glory of God and gospel advance. Glory of God. Look at verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. What is one of the things that came out of David's suffering and David's pain? A new song of praise and worship to God. Glory was given to God because of David's pain and because of David's deliverance. You look with me down at the end at verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. See, our suffering and our pain is an opportunity for God to deliver us. And when he delivers us, it's an opportunity for praise and worship and glory to him. But I also want you to see gospel advance here. Look back at verse 3. Not only did God put the new song in his mouth and, and the new song of praise to God, he says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I want you to consider this for a moment, Christian. The hurt and the pain and the struggle that you are currently right now going through. That God has put that in your life for at least this reason we know for a fact. That through your experiences, through your suffering, through your experience of God's grace and deliverance, you might be able to share with someone else how God operates. That you'd be able to share that provision and that deliverance with someone else. And so could it be that God is using even your circumstances right now to prime the pump for gospel advance in your own life? That you would share the goodness of God and share the deliverance of God, yes, even in this broken, sinful, hurting world. So get in the helicopter and see your circumstances, not in the tunnel view, but in the helicopter view in light of the glory of God and gospel advance. The last thing. The 10th truth here that I want you to see on this pathway for healing is this. When you're hurting, when you're in pain, hope more in the eternal than in the temporal. Hope more in the eternal than the temporal. When you look at verse 16 again, he says, May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. May those who love your salvation 
say continually, great is the Lord. He goes on, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. For what does God save us? Does God save us for an eternity in this world? No. He saves us for eternity in another world. This world is temporary. It's shifting and it's changing. And it's only temporary. It doesn't last forever. That might be some of the best good news you've heard today. Is that whatever you're experiencing, however much pain you may be in right at this moment... If you're a Christ follower, you can be assured it will not last forever. Because God has given you a salvation that is eternal and not temporal. And so whatever we experience in this temporal world has to be seen through the lenses of eternity. And so hope more in the eternal than the temporal. I love the way Paul puts this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 17, in light of his own suffering and circumstances, he wrote this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. One of the reasons why we struggle so much in our pain and hurt is we've convinced ourselves that this world is our ultimate home. And so we're looking for the best possible outcome in this brokenness and in this sin-stained world when Jesus' whole purpose for coming was to save you out of this world. And so your hope is forever with God in another world, not in this one. So whatever you're experiencing, it's temporary. It's momentary. It will not last. So hope more in forever than hoping what you see and what you see today. So how can my heart heal? I don't suggest for a moment that in this 40 minutes that we spend together this morning that this is an exhaustive end-all, be-all to whatever you're struggling with or what's going on in your heart. But friend, what I do know is that this psalm has been a huge solace for my heart as I follow Jesus. And, and I believe that these 10 truths that we've seen along this path, if you will walk this pathway continually, looking to these 10 truths from this psalm, I assure you that you will face your hurt, you will face your pain, you will face your suffering, your shame, and your regret very differently as a follower of Jesus. Because walking this path should ultimately point you to Jesus. Because he's the one in whom ultimate healing is found. God promises us in Psalm 147 verse 3 that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Remember the spiritual operating room we started out in? Have you opened your heart to him today? Have you exposed your raw and tender places in your heart to him? Have you allowed him to put his ointment and balm on your heart? Because the psalmist tells us that he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. 1 Peter chapter 5 says about Jesus, Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Perhaps you need to hear that truth today, that Jesus cares for not just people, but he cares for you. He cares for you. But you might be thinking, well, Chris, I do trust God. I do follow Jesus, and I do want to walk this path for healing, but nothing works for me. I've prayed. I worship. I read the Bible sometimes. I come to church, but I still hurt. I still get hurt, and I still have so many perceived unmet needs. But let me ask you some questions who ultimately is this Jesus, the one on whom you are casting your cares? What is Jesus' ultimate role? Is Jesus' role to simply meet your needs as you perceive them to be? Is Jesus' role and job to just simply meet my needs as I perceive my needs to be? Is Jesus just simply some cosmic need meter in the sky? Or my spiritual therapist? Don't mistake in Jesus for your spiritual therapist in the heavens. Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp in their book, How People Change, challenge us with this. In some approaches to change, Jesus is the therapist who meets all my needs. But is Jesus my therapist or is he my redeemer? If he is my therapist, then he meets my needs as I define them. If he is my redeemer... He defines my true needs and addresses them in ways far more glorious than I could have ever anticipated. Such truth in that quote. And I would sum all of this up by saying this, friend. From the scriptures we've looked at today, even particularly 2 Corinthians chapter 4, God never promised to remove all of your pain. But he did promise to redeem all of your pain. He did promise to redeem all of your pain. Because when you surrender your life to Jesus and his ways, he takes all of your momentary pain and he's going to exchange it one day for eternal glory. And nothing you experience on earth will be wasted. No hurt will ultimately be worthless. No pain will ultimately be purposeless. No tear is without design. And no sin you commit is without forgiveness. No shame that you experience is without triumph. All of these promises, listen to this, this is key. All of these promises are yours, but they are only yours through Jesus Christ. And so today, as we've walked this pathway for healing, I hope and pray that it has led you to Jesus Christ. And if there are those of you in this room who are going through real hurt, real pain, and, and you have kind of isolated yourself and you want to talk, we would love to sit down with you. You could respond today by, you could respond today by coming up to a pastor or a leader you see on this stage, one of our community group leaders or one of our elders. You could come and talk to us today, and, and we could walk you through some of that. Or you could take your connection card today that's there in your seat back pocket and you could fill your information out and you could just simply write a note on the back of that box and, and we would have someone follow up with you sometime this week. 
But regardless of how you would choose to respond today, if God is doing something in your heart in response to the truth that we've seen today, I want to implore you, take steps towards dealing with that. Take steps towards responding to God. Because all truth that we encounter from God demands a response from our hearts. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to even pray for your healing. And then we're going to sing a song that is very pertinent to what we've looked at in God's truth today. Would you bow your heads with me as we close our time together? Father, I pray for these people who are sitting before me today. I don't know every hurt or every regret, every pain that's represented in this room. But Father, you do. And I pray that you would open our hearts. And you would expose our raw and tender places. And I know that even when we touch a raw place on our bodies, it hurts. But even in applying ointment and medicine, it's in the pain that we ultimately get healed. And so, Father, I pray as painful as it may be dealing with our hurts or even thinking about our hurts, Father, I pray that in the process that you would apply your truth in such a way that even through the pain of coming forward and confessing and acknowledging and releasing, that you would heal us. Not just today, but daily, weekly, yearly, until we see you face to face. And it will be because we walk this pathway for healing that we see in your word that ultimately leads us to your son, Jesus. Father, I pray now that as we reflect and as we respond, as we sing, Lord, would you do business with our hearts and may you change lives across this room. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.